16. Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be, and uh, we'll just take a few minutes to kind of look at this passage, a passage of Scripture that means uh, a lot to me, that's become very, very, very real in my life. And the reason for that is I see a lot of connection with what Paul was doing almost 2,000 years ago and with what we're doing in Madagascar, and I would dare say what you're doing here in this area. In Acts chapter 16, to put it into context, Paul and Silas are now launching out into the second missionary journey. Realize that Paul and Silas are new missionaries. They've only ever done, or at least Paul has only ever done one missionary journey. A missionary is something brand new. Uh, Missions trips are still brand new. And uh, the work of planting churches has just started within the last several months and years of Paul's life and ministry. And so our perspective and Paul or the early church's perspective of missions was something that was brand new. Paul saw some great success on his first missionary journey. If you read chapter 15, you come back and you realize how excited the church was uh, for what God was doing through Paul and Barnabas. And now they're launching out into that second missionary journey. And if we had time, we could read. In fact, we just sang about the Macedonian call tonight in the the song, Send the Light. Paul has this Macedonian vision of a man crying out, saying, come over and help us. I love that word in the Malagasy language because it's actually vunzeo, which means come over and save us. Of course, we know only Jesus Christ can save us, but God has given us the message of salvation, which saves people uh, from uh, their hopelessness. And so Paul and Silas are excited, and they're going out into a new region called Macedonia, and they come to a city called Philippi. Understand that in this city of Philippi, it's not Jewish, but it's Gentile. And there in Philippi, as far as I know, and what I truly believe, the gospel of Jesus Christ has never been preached. And the name of Jesus Christ has never been mentioned. And so they are going into uncharted territory to a place that has never received a missionary, yet alone the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Paul and Silas come into this new city to preach the gospel, they are going to be met with three different kinds of people. What I want to consider just for a few minutes this evening is this. Those three kinds of people that Paul and Silas are going to meet are still with us today. Three different types of people that Paul and Silas saw in their day, and I believe with all my heart that we're still seeing these kinds of people in our world today. Notice with me the three kinds of people that we have in our world today that Paul and Silas saw in their world. First and foremost, it's the hungry, and we see that in verse number 12 through uh, through 15. The Bible says in verse 12, And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days, and on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was one to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither, and a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. That's an amazing story as Paul and Silas come into this city. 
God supernaturally led Paul out of the city where there was a group of ladies uh, that were praying. Now, that's amazing in and of itself. I believe these ladies were probably uh, meeting outside of the city because they were no longer welcome in the city because they were worshiping or at least seeking the true God. They weren't worshiping the the deities or the pagans or the uh, the idols of the Greek culture of that day, but they were looking for the true God and God supernaturally brings Paul and Silas to the exact location at the exact time where these ladies were praying and looking for truth. And the Bible says Lydia was there and she attended to the things that were spoken of Paul. In other words, she was listening with both ears. She wanted to know. She was fascinated with what Paul was talking about. I believe he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, introduced them to the Savior. And in the very next verse, the Bible tells us that she and her household were baptized. In other words, they believed. And after that, the Bible even tells us that Paul and Silas were ready to leave, but Lydia comes and grabs a hold of them and says, hey, stay a while. The person that you're talking about, that Jesus Christ that I just believed in, tell me more about him. And she constrained them and convinced them to stay. We don't know this for sure, but I believe with all of my heart that the church at Philippi, that we later read about in the epistle written to the the Philippians, probably started there in the house of Lydia. How is a church born? When a man comes or a woman comes, preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to a group of people that are already hungry for the gospel, a church is born. I already shared with you how God started our church in Madagascar. He used one lady to come up to us as we were doing really nothing spiritual, just handing out some food, rice and beans. She came to us. We didn't go to her. She said, tell me about you. We did. She said, I want to come to your church. We started the church and she came. And since then, God has been adding people to the church uh, week after week, year after year. Why? Because in our world today, there are people that are hungry for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm kind of ashamed to say I didn't do a lot of work to convince that lady about the gospel. She was already hungry for the truth. Uh, Around the time that our church got started, part of our team was out just uh, in the market and just uh, kind of going about their business. And they met another lady that was hungry for the gospel, invited her to church. She began to attend our church faithfully. Six months later, she accepted Christ as her uh, her Savior, uh, was baptized and has been discipled and has just been a faithful part of the church. She was hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not over there in many ways just trying to work with all of our uh, might to convince people. In a lot of cases, we're just preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and people are saying, that's what I'm looking for. Why? Because the world is hungry for truth. And here's what I'd like to tell you, because maybe you're saying, well, that's just stories that happen on the mission field. No, it's what Jesus Christ said when he said the harvest is what? Plenteous. What does that mean? That people are hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I sat where you're sitting this evening and listened to missionaries come through my church as I was growing up and as I served as the assistant pastor of our sending church. And every time I would hear a missionary tell a story like that, I would just say, that just happens where you are. Hey, this is the United States. 
I can remember about 10 or 12 years ago when I was serving on staff at our sending church in New Jersey. Uh, one Saturday morning, we were out passing out invitations, and I remember seeing a young man who was in his yard mowing the lawn, and I walked up to him, I tapped him on the shoulder, he had his earbuds in, and I gave him an invitation, told him who we were, what we were doing, and I invited him out to our church. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, you're not going to believe this, but as I was mowing the lawn, I was praying, saying, God, if you're real, send me somebody to tell, uh, tell me more about you. That's a true story, and I'm not embellishing that any, uh, by any means. And that was in New Jersey, which is kind of the United States, but not really. <laughs> People are hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have to believe it. They were hungry in Paul's day, they were hungry in Madagascar, and they're hungry here in the United States. And we've got to go and preach the gospel because they're waiting for us. I believe with all my heart our world is waiting for somebody to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul and Silas come to this city of Philippi, preach the gospel to a group of ladies that were hungry for the gospel. But secondly, the second group of people that they find in Philippi It's a group that I like to call people that are hurting. There's people that are hungry, but I tell you this as well, there are people that are hurting. Here's a short story in verse 16 to 18 of a young lady we don't know anything about. We'll never know anything more about her, but I believe someday we'll find her in heaven. Notice the second group of people in verse number 16. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination, Met us, which, uh, met us, which brought her masters much gain by Sue, saying, The same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. She's mocking them. And this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. We don't know anything about this young lady. The Bible says she had a spirit of divination. She could tell the future. She could tell what was going to happen. What's even more sad about this young lady is that somebody owned her. And somebody was taking advantage of the spirit that possessed her and was using her uh, to make uh, monetary gain. They cared nothing about the young girl that was demon-possessed. They only cared about getting money out of her uh, poor situation. But I like to think about this young lady for a minute because we don't know. Maybe she was 14 years old. Let's say she's 16 years old. And here's what the Bible says. She was possessed with a spirit. Not a good one, but a bad one. In other words, she no longer, in many ways, had control over her mind and her body. I can tell you she probably didn't have any peace, her joy, her freedom. She had no liberty to do what she wanted to do, but she was possessed completely by a spirit. And if you want to talk about somebody that was hurting, that's a young lady that was hurting in her day. We don't see that so much here in the United States, but in Madagascar, we've run into it a lot more over the last several years. I'll never forget several months ago, we were visiting a lady in our church. We hadn't seen her for a couple weeks, a couple months. And so we were just doing a follow-up visit to kind of see how she was doing. And as we sat in her house, I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, the first thing I do every morning is I open that little window over there. And as soon as I open the window, she said, the first thing I see every morning is a spirit that walks by. Not a good one, but a bad one. Now, I can't verify whether it's true or not, but I tend to believe, yeah, that's probably true. 
In Madagascar, there's a lot of spirit worship. There's a lot of demonic activity that's happening over there. And that poor lady is living in fear to open her window because she's afraid the first thing she sees every morning is going to be some kind of demon that's walking by. Back in August of this year, we had a big outreach to kids. And before that, we had one of our families in our church, a young family that called us and said, if you could come by our house and pray for us, our daughter, who's about seven years old, we don't know what it is, but she's completely delirious. She doesn't know who her mom is. She doesn't remember who her dad is. She doesn't know where she lives. She's just completely delirious. And so my wife and I, Rachel and I, went by to see her one evening, and as we looked at her, sure enough, she didn't know who we were, she didn't know what she was, she didn't know where she was going, she was just completely delirious. And to be honest with you, Pastor, I had no idea what to do in a situation like that. So we opened up the Word of God, we read the Word of God, we read a psalm and uh, prayed together and just asked God to do a great work. Uh, I can't say we cast out demons, but we asked God to do a great work in the heart and life of this young little girl. Thankfully, a few days later, she completely recovered and she's doing well, as far as we know, after we left and uh, is doing just fine. But the family truly feared that their daughter, who's seven years old, was possessed with a demon. In our world, there are people that are just hurting and afraid. Several years ago, uh, there was a man in our, uh, in our church that accepted Christ as a Savior, and him and I went out to visit a family that had lost a loved one. Uh, in Madagascar, of course, uh, after somebody passes away, uh, they normally have about one or two days where you can come by and pay your respects. Uh, normally, the body is right there, so you can see it, pay your respects, and then visit the family and encourage them. And so that's exactly what him and I did. And as we were coming back, Uh, We were walking up to my house, and just before I walked in the front door of my house, he said, hey, pastor, stop. He said, isn't there something we need to do before we go into your house? And I stopped for a moment to think, what do we need to do before I can go into my house? And finally, I realized what he was talking about. In Madagascar, they have a tradition or a ritual that any time you go and you uh, see a dead body like that, they believe that the spirit of death, or at least a bad spirit, is now following you. And so the way that you protect yourself is as you come back to your house, you find a piece of paper, you find something that you can burn, you put it in front of your front door, you light it on fire, and as the smoke goes up, you step over the fire, you step through the smoke, because the smoke, of course, will stop any bad spirit from coming into your house. And so after we had paid our respects, we were coming back to my house and he said, stop, isn't there something we need to do? And as I realized what he was talking about, I said, brother, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We don't have to fear that stuff. We don't have to play with that stuff. Uh, God is in us who is going to protect us and keep us from any harm that could possibly happen to us. But I'm here to tell you that our world is full of people that live in fear and are hurting. In here, the United States, we may not see spirit worship or demonic activity like that, but it doesn't take long to drive up and down the streets here in California, Southern California, and see several people uh, who have been hurt by uh, drug abuse or alcoholism or, or some kind of addiction, and there they are on the streets hurting in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul and Silas turned to this young lady in our story and offer to her the freedom that only the gospel can give.
Folks, we need to understand that in our world today, there are people that are hurting. And you and I have the wonderful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Isaiah 61.1, where we get to open the prison cells and we get to set free those who are captive. We get to proclaim liberty to those who are bound. And that's exactly what the gospel does. And that's what Paul and Silas were doing in their day. In our world today, there are people who are hurting and desperately in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we have those who are hungry. We have those who are hurting. And then lastly, and quickly this evening, we have those who are hopeless. Pastor already mentioned that tonight, but I want to remind you that in our world today, there are many, thousands, millions really, that are absolutely hopeless. Maybe you know the rest of the story here in Acts chapter 16. Paul casts out the spirit of that young lady. The owner comes and realizes that uh, the, the great source of his income is now gone, causes a great uproar in the city of Philippi. All the mob comes and captures Paul and Silas. They beat them, they, uh, they bind them, and they send them into prison. And what do Paul and Silas do at midnight? They sing praises to God, verse 25. You know the story. Verse 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Remember, just a few hours ago, they were walking the streets preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now they're broken and bruised and they're praising God at midnight. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly, God does a great work. There was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed and the, keepers of the, and the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep and seeing this prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm. Why? For we are all here. Amazing story if you just put it into perspective. Here's a prison guard, a prison keeper, that probably a few hours before was one of the men that was responsible for beating Paul and Silas. And if not that, you can be sure he's the one that had the key that locked their prison cells and locked their shackles that night. And as he cared nothing for the gospel, as these men sang and praised God, when the crisis came, that is the earthquake, and waking out of his sleep and looking down the corridors of that prison cell, or that prison uh, house, and seeing all of the doors open, the Bible says he supposed or assumed or thought that everybody was gone. And in just a moment's notice, he took out his sword and he said, there is nothing left to live for on this earth. Let me just end it now. Imagine that. A man that we know was married, a man that we know had children, because the Bible tells us that later, a man that was probably part of a community and had friends, got to the point where he said, it's hopeless. There's nothing left to live for. And with sword in hand, was ready to take his own life. And then Paul says, stop. Don't do it. There's hope. There's hope for you. You may live a completely hopeless life and are ready to end it all. But Paul said, I'm here to tell you there's hope and that hope is found in Jesus Christ. You know, one of the greatest miracles in this story, and you can read it for yourself. And if I'm wrong, Pastor, you can correct me later. But the greatest miracle in this story is not the earthquake that came at midnight that night. 
It's not even the fact, and think about this, that every prison door was open wide after the earthquake. And it wasn't the fact that every shackle that, has, that had bound every prisoner had miraculously fallen off. I mean, these are great miracles if you think about it. One earthquake opens all the doors and all the shackles fall off of all of the prisoners' hands and feet. That was not the greatest miracle. I think the greatest miracle was this, that all of the prisoners were still in prison there with Paul and Silas. Why? Because these men had faithfully preached or at least praised God at midnight and showed the world around them that there is hope. That even when you're broken and you're bruised and you have lost your freedom for something good that you had done, there's still hope in Jesus Christ. And so when the crisis came, everybody came running to them and said, tell me about the hope that you have. And this prison keeper, as he woke up and he ran into Paul and Silas, and after he realized how hopeless he was, you know what one question this hopeless man asked Paul and Silas? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the question the hopeless world asks those who have hope. And those who have hope, do you know what answer we give them? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the hope that we have tonight. And Paul and Silas were able to give hope to a man who had no hope. 2020, a little thing called COVID came here to this world. And to be honest with you, for the first time in my entire life, as I looked out in our community there in Madagascar, and I considered the situation and everything that was going on there in Madagascar, for the first time, honestly, in my life, I realized just how hopeless our world really is. They were taking every precaution and every measure possible to save their own lives. Why? Because they had no hope beyond the grave. If they got it and if they died, that was it. There was no hope beyond the grave. And we as a church there in Madagascar had the opportunity to say, listen, if I live, great. But if I die, even better. I get to be with my Savior for all of eternity. I win either way. Why? Because I have hope. Folks, you and I have hope this evening. But outside these doors, there are still people, many people, that don't have that hope. And we've been given the responsibility, not just the opportunity, but really the responsibility to go to our world and let them know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I hope this evening as we pray and as we finish out the service and as we go from this building, from this place, I hope that as you go into your community tomorrow, as you go into your workplace, as you meet with family and friends over the next month, as we enjoy the holidays, I hope that you remember that in our world today, there are still these three types of people. People hungry. They're just waiting for you to open your mouth and preach the gospel. You may be surprised just how hungry our world really is for the gospel. And listen, don't believe me. Believe Jesus Christ. He's the one that said it. The harvest is still plenteous. I believe it with all my heart. 
The world is hungry for the gospel. The world is hurting. They need you. They need me to go and set captive those who are bound. The people are hurting. And most of all, people are hopeless. But we have the message of hope. Would you do that this week? Would you open your mouth? Would you share the gospel? Would you tell somebody about Jesus Christ? Would you give an invitation to church? Would you let them know about the hope that you have? Would you sing praises to God at midnight when bad things happen to you, good people? Would you just let people know that you're one of those that have hope in Jesus Christ? And no matter what happens, you win every time. We have hope in Jesus Christ. May God help us to go and share that hope with the world around us. Let's pray this evening and then I'll turn it over to Pat.